Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Zoe Fergu. She is an organizational psychologist with a master's in human resource management. She's also a clinical psychologist uh, and is licensed to do so. She has a diploma in business coaching and mentorship and a certificate in agile leadership, just to name a few. And at the moment, she's also a PhD candidate at Pantheon University, and her research is mainly focused on the psychometrics of the corporate culture. Now, alongside her academic interest, she's operating professionally in the full spectrum of her science, taking over projects uh, from corporate culture transformation to employee training and development to business coaching, to name a few. And she's also a senior member of the Hellenic Institute of Coaching and was voted the best career coach in the Global Coaching Conference of 2021. Well, what a list of accomplishments. Zoe, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Now, before we jump in, because there was some fascinating stuff I uncovered uh, from you in the, the research I did before the episode, but before we get there, I'd love to hear your story. What were you doing before getting into coaching and consulting and training and speaking and all the things you do? And how did that ultimately lead you to make the leap? All right. Uh, for starters, thank you very much for having me over. It's a great honor. And I'm very happy to be talking with you. And uh, well, like you said, I'm a psychologist. So I actually have a clinical license as well. I was uh, working in the psychiatric hospital of Vatica in Athens, and I was doing alcoholic rehabilitation. But I kind of always knew that I'm more of a business person myself, so it made more sense to pursue a different career choice that combines psychology and business. Therefore, I found my way through HR, and before COVID, I was actually the HR director of a group of companies here in Greece. But then inside COVID, like many other people all over the world, I got a lot of free time in my hands, not necessarily wanting it, but I did have a lot of free time. And that's when I started realizing that Maybe I should start pursuing coaching instead of HR and uh, mentorship and building it my own company. Well, I can combine culture change, which is my passion, with bringing mental health and empowering diversity in the workspace. So that, that's how it happened, basically. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Now, if we fast forward to today, uh, what would you say some of the most important work you're doing for your clients? Definitely culture change. Like I said, I usually come... Uh, inside projects where there has been a change like a merger or an acquisition or even a difference in succession like the former ceo retired or left and now we have a new ceo who wants to bring a new fresh idea in the building 
And usually they bring me on board and I do my own tests to understand and assess the current situation. And then we move on from there with specific interventions. They can be coaching, they can be uh, team building activities or uh, workshops or training. And then depending on exactly what every single person and every single department needs, I run these changes until everyone is super happy in the new environment. Yeah, fantastic. One of the things that we hear a lot is we either define culture as healthy or toxic. Uh, we, we really kind of treat those as almost mutually exclusive. And uh, I'm wondering, can you have elements of both? And if so, what do you do to to start moving the toxic pieces toward a healthier environment? Well, thank you very much for this question, because I don't really believe that there are toxic cultures. This is extremely rare, but imagine that organizations are like a, a Jenga. Do you know Jenga, the game? Somehow they're standing. Sometimes you see the pieces, they're misfit and you don't think they're making sense. But if an organization is functional and they're moving on and they're working all together, then most probably they're not toxic. What happens many times is that a person doesn't fit there and they should pursue something else. But for some reason, we are so used to having to absolutely make something seem bad and toxic in order to leave it because basically we're not trained to say no, and that's okay, it's just not for me. So that's something that I think more people should start actually thinking, that if everyone else is happy, then maybe you are the one not fitting there. It doesn't mean that any of you uh, have an issue. Maybe it's just a mismatch. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I, I know I work with a lot of leaders, and oftentimes leadership can have this kind of bad rep of like, you know, forcing stuff down or not caring about their people. and uh, you know, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of people who really, really love their people, right? Like they they want to build a great team. And one of the challenges that they face is when someone's not a fit, whether that be from a performance standpoint or a culture standpoint or both, uh, there's this there's this kind of internal desire of like they want what's best for them and and we it's hard to see past what's best for them is keeping them in this job. And, and so there's this kind of pressure to keep someone in a role that maybe isn't a good fit. And what I hear you saying is the flip side of that is true, is there's a pressure to, to keep the job that you have, even if it's not a fit. Is that right? Exactly. For some reason. And I think that media has a lot to play with that because they're popularizing the idea that the more difficult something is and the more, you know, uh, draining and consuming for our emotions it is, then it's probably worth it. And it probably gives you some value back. And well, I have to say the exact opposite. If something doesn't flow naturally, of course there's going to be hardships in every job, in every work, in every career. But it's different compromising in order to get the job done and compromising your entire character and your entire personality to match a culture with completely different values. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this just yesterday. I talked with two or three people in one day that they were talking about recovering from corporate culture. And, and it strikes me as odd because there's so much put into creating good cultures now, especially in the kind of post Peter Drucker and Jim Collins era that there's so much put into creating healthy cultures. Why is it that we still have so much burnout in the corporate space? For stars, I would say that the reason that is pushing us into creating better cultures has to do a lot with Gen Z joining the workforce. This is a generation that had the best caretakers and the caretakers with the most access to psychology and psychotherapy and 
living a better life. And therefore, they accept much less. They know how to set boundaries. And they actually show up to, to fight for empowering mental health and diversity and equality in the workspace. Therefore, it's not necessarily that, I would say, employers changed, but they had to adapt in order to retain this new age and new philosophy, let's say, workforce. Uh, the reason we have so much burnout is because previous generations are not equally good at that. We didn't grow up like that. We grew up thinking that it's all about being obsessed and it's all about you know, getting there and making it. And with mantras like uh, lonely at the top, even I would say um, not just popularizing, but idealizing this whole concept of in order to make it, you need to burn out. Otherwise, we don't try hard enough. Basically, I would say that balance is not very trendy. <laughs> right, right. And uh, and so uh, you bring up the point balance, and it was actually my next question. You have a statement on your website uh, that says that the balance in people's inner identities fights toxic work culture. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Because that, that's a surprising statement. Well, for starters, there is a lot of research that talks about how uh, being multidimensional is the best way for a healthy personality. That means that the more elements a person self-identifies with, then the less burden they put in each individual uh, element. And then by default, they experience less pressure and less negative emotions. For example, imagine a person who is, I don't know, a lawyer, and also they're married, and they're, they work together in the same office with, uh, let's say, her husband. Okay, so this wife, lawyer and the husband. And then imagine the same woman and she's a lawyer, her husband's a doctor, she also has two kids and she's also running for mayor in her neighborhood and she's also kite surfing and she has a lot of friends. And then she has a bad day at work or she gets a divorce. Which of the two women are going to deal with it better right. and they're going to recover better? The second one. Because yeah. even if you feel like you failed or one of these identities didn't work, all the others are going to be better. And then put that in a work environment now. We have, again, people that are putting all of their burden into their work identity. And on the other hand, we have actually much more balanced people that they might love their work, but it's just a piece of their identity. It's not their entire, mm -hmm. who do you think is going to be more accepting and easy to mentor? and be better at setting boundaries and showing empathy and understanding their teammates. Right. I, I think that's so true because there's this tendency that we have, uh, and, and identity is such a good word for it, but to to say, I am something, right? And it may be as, as simple as like, I am not good at details. I'm not a detail person, or I am a salesperson, or I am... And and whenever someone comes to mentor us and help us to to upgrade that version of ourselves, right? To to grow a new set of skills, to maybe even challenge something that we've accepted. If it if it pokes at our our identity, it's very difficult to accept that. If I pride myself on being something, and someone says, "Hey, there's actually something else for you," that's very difficult. Uh, would you agree with that? Well, of course I agree because every time you ask someone who are you, first they tell you their names and then what they're doing. And none of these questions really answer, who are you? But if you really want to know a person, tell them. Let's say that you are today, I don't know, uh, an engineer in a tech firm, 
And from tomorrow, that's illegal. You can't do anything that has to do with data, computing, and anything. Who would you be? And then the person that has something to answer, they're in a better place than the person who doesn't have anything else to answer. Right. I think this exercise in the personal development uh, workshop I was running in Budapest some time ago, and it was, it was shocking how many people started crying after one minute of asking them, who are you? Who are you? Okay, first they will tell you their names, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm this kind of person. And then what? And then like it was amazing because you had 30 people crying and saying, I have no idea who I am. Yeah. It's fascinating. There, there's um, there's the set of stages, particularly I work a lot with founders. Uh, and so kind of founding business owners and uh, and they they run without answering that question for a very long time. You know, there's so many things competing for their attention. They can look so successful on the outside that they can avoid answering that question for quite a while. And it's usually not until the later stages of, of their progression as a founder that they come face to face with this. And, and what's so shocking, it's actually what I would call the defining question of stage five in the process. That, that's not necessarily relevant to this, but these are really successful founders. They, they've beat the odds time and time again. And it's shocking to anyone who's not in this stage that they'd be sitting back asking, who am I? But anyone who's in that stage, they're like, yes, that's absolutely it. Because what happens is they start to recognize they are not their business. They're, they're, they're two separate things. I was actually watching an interview by uh, Cameron Diaz, you know, the famous, mm -hmm. uh, the famous actress. And they were asking her why she abandoned acting. And she said that she realized that she had this part of herself, which was acting, high performing for so long that after a while, she didn't even realize that she couldn't do anything else anymore because there are always people taking care of everything else that is not this one thing that's high performing. So she said, I start, I start feeling incompetent because at one point I couldn't cook for myself. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't even drive myself. I couldn't do anything else, but this one thing. And this one thing wasn't enough anymore. Yeah. So if a person who leads such a, you know, amazing life, like being a movie star and having such, such glamour or whatever, say that it wasn't enough, this one thing, no matter how good it was, how is supposed to be a nine to five job enough for anyone else? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. Um, and so what do we do about it? What, you know, if someone's sitting there saying like, hey, I've given myself to my work and, and for a long time it's been, you know, super satisfying and successful, but I can see the writing on the wall. I can see that this is starting to change. What are some steps that they can take to start to, to correct that and bring some balance into their life? Well, self-reflection. Sit down and ask yourself, who am I? But ask yourself for one minute straight again and again, who am I? And then if you don't have answers, move on to, okay, what am I doing now? Why, why am I doing this exercise? Push yourself until you get to an actual answer that makes sense as to what your need is. And then focus on that need. What do I want? And then when you find out who you are and why you're doing this exercise and what you want, go and invest in these things. Go and spend time. Because the truth is that all we are in this life is the connections we make. And I'm the last person to say that work is not important. I'm literally a person who made work their work. So of course it's important, but it's not enough. I do need a support system where I can share everything that I do and they actually make everything more important because I'm able to share. And I need my hobbies and I need other things that are important. And sometimes these things are not necessarily, you know, big, like watching a show, watching a series or 
taking a walk or going bowling. But I do need all these small different pieces to come and create the big picture of who I am. And I think that's true for everyone. It's just that many people haven't really realized what their small pieces are. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I'm wondering if you can kind of put a bow on this for us. There's a question I like to ask everybody, and it's this. What is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening or watching today knew? Mm -hmm. Sad. I would say that self-awareness is not something static. And there's nothing I hate more than people telling me, I know myself. How do you know yourself? Like, if you can do everything right, you should be changing every five minutes. And the thing that was true yesterday is the same thing you should be doubting today. Of course, I'm not talking about core values. Yeah, okay, if you are a person who, I don't know, is very open to love, that's probably not going to change. But what about everything else that's not core? Because the core is two or three elements. Everything else should be up to change, up to evolution. And it's not a secret. Self-awareness is dynamic because you should be dynamic and you should be always aiming for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So uh, I'm wondering if you could, uh, I'm going to have you take off your kind of coach, advisor, psychologist hat for a moment. Uh, you're, you're a business owner as well. So put on your CEO hat and talk to us, what's the next stage of growth look like for you in your business? And what, uh, what challenge will you have to overcome to get there? Okay. I think that I'm in a phase that many business owners have been at one point, that too many things are being run by me. And it's very hard to scale when everything is run by you. Therefore, I'm in a situation where I need to understand how am I going to scale. Right now at the team, it's me and I have four people that support me, my video editor, my videographer, my personal assistant, and another psychologist who is handling the one-to-one coaching sessions. But still, you know, clients, they eventually come to the office and they want to have a session with me or they want me to run the speech. So how do I move with that? Because I still have 24 hours per day. And that's what I'm trying to solve right now. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good problem to have, but a very real problem to have at the same time. I think it's a classic. I think that everyone who, who was scaling on the one hand, I'm very, very proud and I'm really happy that I'm scaling. But on the other hand, how do I clone myself? <laughs> yes. Yes, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, and so it, it's, yeah, again, it's a classic approach. You're, you're moving from that star player, right? The one that everybody wants to being that captain on the field and leading everyone together. It's it, it's it's a fun but difficult process, uh, but one that I know you'll do well. Uh, so some some folks are listening today and, and you know, there's this, I, I can imagine two groups. There's the leaders who are saying, yeah, there are people in my organization that are not a fit. Uh, and I, I don't know if there's something I can do about it. Will you help? And then there are some others who are saying, hey, I, I'm feeling like I don't fit in my organization and, and I'm wondering, can you help? So where can they find more out about the work that you do uh, and and get in touch with you? Well, for starts, I'm an ultra millennial, so I'm super active in all the social media. You can find me on LinkedIn for stars and then everywhere else from TikTok to Instagram. And I have my own website, which is fragozoe.com. And yeah, take it from there. I've released several interviews and uh, also articles. And right now I'm also writing a book on burnout. So you can be hearing more of me, thankfully. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for being on the show. It's just a pleasure having you here today. And for everyone watching, listening, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. If you loved this episode, if it added any value for you, please like and subscribe so you can get more of great content like this. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care.
Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.